You're listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. Worship with us on Sundays in Kansas City, or join us in June for our youth and young adult conference called Bold. There you go, David. That's a bold welcome right there. That's a bold conference welcome. Man, well, uh, good evening. Great to be with you guys. So encouraged already just by your worship, just in here, just getting wrecked, just so encouraged by you guys. So it's good to be here in Kansas City where there's humidity and it's muggy and it's hot, but it's beautiful. Uh, it is good to be here. I absolutely adore uh, the, uh, just the leadership of this whole thing and uh, just feel so closely connected and tied to them. So grateful that they would do this and uh, just really amazing what God's doing. I'm going to jump straight in. Can we do that? Can we just jump straight into this thing? Uh, I do just, let me really quickly just tell you, he did mention, uh, my name is Banning, I, uh, I am 42 years old, uh, that's right, 42, I've been married 20 years to the same woman, and uh, yeah, I have a 19-year-old daughter who's in college, her name is Ellie, her name is Eliana, but we call her Ellie, and I have a 15-year-old daughter, uh, she is going to be a sophomore in high school, her name is Raya. And then I have a 12, he's about to turn 13-year-old son. His name is Lake. And uh, we, we actually named him, his, his name is actually Wesley Asa Lake Liebscher. Uh, but we call him his middle name Lake after a preacher from the early 1900s, a guy named John G. Lake. All of my kids actually have like uh, names that mean something, like they're kind of powerful. And Eliana is is Hebrew for my, my God has answered me. It's a feminine form of Elijah. Raya, her name is friend of God. Her middle name is Rain uh, after, Joel, after the, uh, Joel 2, 23 and 24 about the latter rain. And then my son's name is Lake after this preacher. All three of my kids, we decided to really make sure their names mean something because, because my name and my wife's name don't really mean anything. So my name is Banning Liebscher. And my last name, Liebscher, which is German, my parents told me growing up that it meant lover, because Lieb is love. And so they said, Banning, our last name's Lover, which I thought was cool. And I was a pretty confident kid in high school, so I let all the ladies know, hey, my last name's Lover. And uh, so, so Liebscher is Lover. And then my first name, Banning, I, I grew up in a Christian school, like kindergarten, preschool through college was, any Christian school kids? Where are my Christian school kids at? Chapels on Wednesday. And so I would, I, uh, I went to a Christian school and when I was in sixth grade, a mom came to our little class of 25 and said, I'm gonna find out what all of your names mean. And uh, so she comes back with like a little framed piece of paper and my name said Banning and it said, it meant a great warrior, strong protector. And uh, so, so from sixth grade on, I was like, I'm not sure I could have been named better. Like, strong warrior, great protector, lover. This is incredible. And then I'm, we're about to have our second kid, and I'm in a bookstore looking for a baby, a baby name book for my, to figure out we're going to name my next kid. And I come across one, and I go look for my name, because I've never seen my name in a baby book, ever. Uh, and so I finally find it, Banning, and... Um, and I'm so excited to finally have proof that my name is Strong Warrior Great Protector. So I look at it, and my name doesn't mean that. It's Irish, and it means small, fair one. 
So, so my name is Irish for like little dorky kid. And, and I was like pretty, I, I was pretty shook up. I was in this little bookstore and I was like, oh, oh no. Like I was this weird mix of emotions. Like I was, I've been living a lie. And then I was angry at that mom in sixth grade for telling me this. And, but I kind of pulled myself up because I'm like, that's okay. I still got Leapster. That's cool, right? Leapster, lover, lover is still cool. And I'm not exaggerating. About two months later, I'm at our church. And this guy from Germany is there. And my friend is talking to him. And he said, uh, hey, my friend Bannon, his last name's Liebscher. And he says, it's German and it means lover. That's what he tells the German guy. He goes, it means lover. And the guy from Germany goes. He said, it doesn't mean lover. He said, what's it mean? And I am not kidding. The guy looks at him and goes, I think it means love handles. So I went like in three months from strong warrior, great protector, lover to small, fair one, love handles. So I have a deep commitment in my heart that my kids are going to have really powerful prophetic names. And so that's where they all are right now. If you have your Bibles out, uh, um, if you have your Bibles out, get them out. We're going to go to Romans chapter one. I... Um, I mentioned I'm 42. I got into youth ministry full-time when I was 19. I radically encountered God as a 17-year-old, uh, which I might tell a little bit of that story, but I just, I just encountered God one night as a 17-year-old at church and just decided to give everything to Him. Two years later, I ended up in full-time youth ministry at 19, and I did that for 12 years. And in that time frame, the Lord really just began to speak to us about a generation that He is raising up who are gonna see revival. And he began to speak to us very clearly that he is, there is, a, there is a generation emerging in the earth today that he is anointing for revival and he's gonna send them into their cities, their campuses, their friend groups, their generation. He's gonna send them back into their cities and campuses to see revival. He tells a story, uh, he, he spoke to us out of the story of Jonah. How many of you guys know the story of Jonah? Because of Veggie Tales. Yes? Are you guys past the VeggieTale age? So um, the story of Jonah isn't as much about Jonah as it is about Nineveh. Like God had a heart for the city of Nineveh. And this city was steeped in sin, sexual immorality, idolatry, violence, debauchery. But God had a heart for that city. So what he did was he raised up and anointed a man named Jonah and sent him into Nineveh to become the very answer to the cry that was on God's heart. What I'm convinced of and when I look out in this room right now is I see the answer to the cry that is on God's heart. That God has a heart for your generation. He has a heart for your campus. He has a heart for your city. Because of that, He is raising up a generation and He is going to anoint them with revival and He's gonna send them back in. So this is the word that God gave us early on and we've spent the last 20 years 23 years of my life going after seeing a generation, especially in America, that God would anoint for revival, that they would see an awakening, that they would see their generation awakened with love and power, by the love and power of God. But, what, but, but in the midst of this call, what I've realized is this. If you're going to be a generation that sees your generation awakened by the love and power of God, if you're going to be a youth group that sees your campus awakened and your city impacted, 
If you're going to be that, if you're going to be, if you're going to be a young person that God uses, there is an ingredient that you need in your life that is a non-negotiable that you cannot get away from. There's an ingredient in your life that you can't skip or replace. I don't know if you've ever tried to cook something, bake something, and replace ingredients. Like, it doesn't work. When I was probably 15 years old, I uh, stayed home from school one day sick. I, got, I don't remember fully. I, I must have faked it because about halfway through the day, I called my mom and I was really bored. So this was before internet. This was before Netflix. You know, I'm at home. I'm kind of bored. There's just soap operas on. So I called my mom and I said, Mom, uh, I, I want to make some of your chocolate chip cookies. So my mom makes, for me, my favorite cookie on the planet is this chocolate chip cookie my mom makes. She's made them since I, was, since I can remember. And I said, Mom, I'm bored. I want to make those cookies. And she said, it's not that hard. Here's the recipes, you know, hanging up in there. And so I said, all right. So I go get the recipe. And it's like two cups of flour. So I go and I look and I find the, the Tupperware container of flour and I put two cups of flour in. And, you know, it's like sugar and, and vanilla and eggs. And, and, you know, and so I, I mix chocolate chips. I mix it all up. I put them all in the thing. I put them on the, the cookie, the baking sheet. And I stick them in and I cook them forever long. And uh, when I open up the oven, when they were done, I pull them out. They didn't look like my mom's cookies at all. Like they were, uh, they were really flat and thin, dark brown, crunchy. And when I tasted them, um, tasted like really salty. So my mom comes home from work and I'm like, mom, your recipe doesn't work. It's wrong. And she said, my recipe's not wrong. I've been doing that recipe for years. I'm, so, I, I'm like, mom, trust me. I did your recipe perfectly and the cookies didn't turn out like whatever you showed me on that sheet it's wrong she said it's not wrong she said show me what you did I said fine so I went so I I went I'm like all right mom it says two cups of flour so I walked over and I said I got the flour down and she stopped me right there she said hold on a second she said did you put that in it I'm like yes it's flour she said that's not flour that's baking soda I'm like, I mean, it was like a white powdery substance. I, so instead of flour, I put two cups of baking soda and then tried to make cookies from that. It didn't work. Like you can't, we can't be a generation that says, God, I want to see you move in my generation without understanding that there are certain key ingredients that have to be in your life. There are certain key ingredients that have to be in your generation if you're going to. You can't just swap whatever ingredients you want and expect to get the same results. If there is a result, if we say, I want to see my generation awakened by the power and love of God, there are certain ingredients that have to be in play in order to get there. I can't just put anything in and expect to get that result. There's one ingredient that I believe is the key ingredient to this whole thing, if you're gonna see your generation awakened. Let me show it to you, Romans chapter one, verse four. Are you with me? Romans chapter one, verse four. It's talking about Jesus, it says this. Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness. So here's what I believe. I believe that your generation is going to declare who Jesus is with power. Not just with signs and wonders, which I believe is gonna happen, but I'm talking about that you're going to stand in your generation and your life 
is going to declare Jesus with authority and with power. And you're going to see your generation awaken. But if we're going to stand in our generation and declare Jesus with power, it is according to something, and it is according to the spirit of holiness. Holiness is the ingredient that has to be there. You can't replace it. You can't get rid of it. You can't, you know, skip over it. It's got to be there if we're going to see this happen. It's a a non-negotiable. You can't work your way around it. Here's the problem, though. I grew up in an environment where where holiness, um, I had a wrong understanding of what holiness was. So I knew that holiness was in the Bible. I knew that God kind of, you know, but, but I would read those passages and then just kind of skip over them. Because, you know, when God says, be holy as I am holy, I'm like, well, that can't, like, you can't mean that. Like, that's impossible, so you can't really mean that. And then we would just skip over it. You've got to understand what holiness is. For me growing up, I grew up in a very conservative, I grew up in a very conservative church environment. I mean, we were, you couldn't watch TV, you couldn't listen to music. It was like, uh, it it was all connected to what you did and didn't do. I, I mean, I remember, uh, I, music was evil, for sure. Not just secular music, just music. I remember I was over at somebody's house, went to our church, and uh, a, a commercial came on that was a Hawaiian punch commercial, and there were drums in it. And so the dad got up and turned the volume down until the, because drums are of the devil. Drums are of the devil. Yeah, yeah, so that guy playing tonight, demonic. Like, so, so this is the environment I grew up in. We didn't really watch TV. I didn't have a TV until I don't know how long. We had a TV, but it was a little black and white TV, and it came out every Thursday night. That's the only time we watched it. My parents would go get it, they'd plug it in, pop popcorn, and we would watch The Cosby Show, Family Ties, and PBS Mystery. That's what we watched. Every, that was my amount of TV I had. So this is the type of environment. So I grew up believing that holiness is a list of things that I don't do. So I'm holy if I don't watch TV. I'm holy if I don't listen to the drums. I'm holy if I don't do this. That was my understanding of holiness. But if you're going to be a generation that embraces holiness, you have to understand what it is. Like, what is holiness? Anytime you run across three words in Scripture, holy, holiness, sanctification, consecration, all three of those words mean the same thing. They mean set apart or otherly. Set apart. So God is holy because he's set apart. He's completely other than or set apart from sickness, from sin, from death, from unrighteousness. He's set apart from that. Therefore, he's holy. So holiness is is really the concept of being set apart. And what we see in scripture is, is that holiness is not just that I separate from sin. This is part of the issue if you've grown up in the church. What we're trying to do is get people separated from sin, which is good. But we miss the fact that there's another step, which is I am separating from sin so that I can be set apart to God. So what happens is we come to camps and we we preach people to the altar to be separated from sin. And then they go back and then the next year we're doing the same thing. Come forward, separate from sin, go back. Because we're missing this thing 
that holiness, listen, it's important to separate from sin. But just because you don't do something doesn't make you holy. And you've, you've got to understand this point. Just because you don't cuss, just because you don't smoke, just because you don't drink, or just because you're not sleeping around, that doesn't make you holy. Just because you download the clean version of Post Malone doesn't make you holy. Right, like, that, like that's not what makes you holy. Because I don't do something doesn't make me holy. What makes me holy, again, I need to separate from that because sin ensnares me, it entangles me. But I separate from sin so that I can set my life apart completely for God. And that holiness is my life set apart for God. And that I have one purpose in life. There is one call on my life, and it is to be set apart for God. And anything else is a, is a, is, is a violation of who I am. I remember years ago, a youth pastor used the simplest but greatest illustration around this thing. He began to talk about brushes. He says, you know, in life we have all different brushes. So he says, you might have a scrub brush, and you use that for a lot of stuff. Like, you, you know, you'll go... You know, you'll go clean your car tires and clean the garage floor. You might clean the toilet with it. You can use a scrub brush for a lot of stuff. He said, then there's a hairbrush. You'll use that hairbrush. Your wife may use that hairbrush. Your kids, but a little bit more limited. He said, but then you have a toothbrush. He said, that toothbrush has one purpose. It's for you. I, listen, if you're not married, you won't get this. But like, it's, like, I don't, like nobody can use my toothbrush at all. I can full-on make out with my wife, and if she wants to use my toothbrush, I'm like, that's gross. No. Use your own toothbrush. Like, I don't know what it is. Again, I can full-on, I can, I can have just kissed her. I'm like, you cannot use my toothbrush. That's disgusting. Get your own. That toothbrush has one purpose, right? Nobody is taking that toothbrush and cleaning the oil off the ground or cleaning the toilet with it. Right? It has one purpose, to brush my teeth. That's it. It is set apart for one thing. And anything else that you use it for is where it begins to go like, that's not its purpose. Okay, that's holiness. Holiness is not, it's, it's not just that I separate from sin. It's that my life is set apart to God. It has one purpose. It's for Him. That's why any time in holiness, what you have to understand is holiness, the concept of holiness is a 100% concept. It's 100% of my life to him. The good, the bad, the ugly, all of it. It's, it's set apart for him, it's 100%. Do you guys know the concept of the tithe? So if you've been in church, you'll get this. Tithe, meaning 10%, that, that in the Old Testament, the, the principle around that you would come and bring the first 10%, the first fruits, 10% of your income you would give to God. It's hilarious to me because as pastors, you'll get this, a lot of people might struggle with the concept of the tithe. Like, I don't know if I want to tithe or 10%. They really struggle with the concept of giving God 10%. And every time they do, I just kind of chuckle inside and think, oh, you're adorable because you think God's asking for 10% of your money. Can I just say something right now? God's not asking for 10% of your money. He's asking for 100% of your money. Can, I, can we do it? Let's just clear all this up right now. 
God's not asking for 10% of anything from you. He's not asking for 10% of your time, energy, your friends, your entertainment. He's not asking for 10% of anything. God is asking for 100% of your life. He's asking for 100% of who you are. He wants all of it. And you don't want to know why? And he's the only one that can ask this because he's the only one that gave you 100%. Like he wasn't up there going like, I want to send 10% of who I am to people. Who is that? Jesus, you're 10% of me. Go down there. No, he gave us 100% of who he was through Jesus. And so he comes and says, listen, I want 100%. And here's the problem. We think God kind of negotiates with us. Guys, we come into these settings sometimes and, and we're like here and I mean, it's fantastic, you know? I mean, worship's good and, and the preaching, especially on Wednesday night, it's just fire, it's good. And it's like, this is amazing. But then we kind of come to that moment and we get before God and we're trying to figure out, can I negotiate a percentage? Y'all quiet on me. They, if, you, you, this may show a little bit of my age, but um, you know my, one of my favorite shows is American Pickers. I don't know if anybody watches American Pickers, but you know American Pickers, I actually love that show. And so if you haven't watched the show, Frank and Mike, they go into these, uh, Mike and Frank, they, they go around the U.S. and they go into barns and warehouses and they're digging through all of it and they're looking for antique items that they can buy. And whenever they find an item, it begins the negotiation process. So what happens is they might come and they might find this Aquafina water bottle. And, and, and they might come and there's like some farmer, some guy, you know, whatever, that collects. And they'll come and say, oh man, really like this Aquafina bottle, I'd like to get it. And then the negotiation starts, right? So they're like, uh, how much you want for this? And you know, the farmer, whoever, he's like, oh man, you know, I've had that for a long time. And, I don't think I could let it go for anything less than $400. And then Mike and Frank are like, oh man, I don't know if I could, uh, you know, 400, I don't know if I could do 400, a little more than I wanted to spend. How about 200? And the guy's like, oh gosh, I don't think I could do 200. I mean, look at this thing's still got water in it. You don't find that anywhere. Like that's rare if it's got water. It's still got the original cap. I'm gonna need 300. And, and then they go back and forth and find they're like, ah, uh, what about 275? And then they agree on a price. Guys, I, I need you to get this in here. If I'm going to embrace a life of holiness, it means I understand that God doesn't negotiate with me. That, that I can't, you know, I'm like, God, here I am, use me. God, here's my life. And he's like, all right, well, I'd like all of it. Wow, really, all of it? That's a little more than I wanted to spend. All right, God, how about this, man? I'll come on Wednesday nights. I'll come on Sunday mornings. Uh, I'll give you my girlfriend. I was going to break up with her anyways. And, um, but I'd like to keep, you know, my music. And I'd like to keep some of these friends. I'd like to keep. And, and then we think God's up there going like, oh, man, I'm just, I'm going to need more than that. I just don't think I could use you. You know what? How about this? Uh, you know, you, uh, and we think there's a negotiation process that happens. But it doesn't. Like when you come to God, he says, I, I want everything you have, good, bad, ugly, all of it. I, I want your struggles, your weaknesses, your strengths, but, but I want everything you have. There's, there's not a negotiation process that happens. Guys, it's this thing when, when, I, when I come to God. Listen, this is why I am telling you 
that we don't talk about the cost much, but the most, but it, but it costs to follow Jesus. Following Jesus costs you something. It's absolutely true that salvation is a free gift. It's also true that it will cost you your entire life. Right? It, it costs something. Now, again, it's worth everything we would give for it, but it does cost something. You know, part of my concern about the generation right now is that if your Christianity, if your Christianity hasn't cost you anything, it may not be worth anything. Like, we, look, look, I'm not trying to go hardcore on you this last night, but I, I'm trying to tell you this, that, that, that when, you, when something costs you something, it means it's valuable. You ever been to Mexico? Like, as far as, like, Tijuana, Mexico, we used to go down to trips, and they have a, they have a street called Revolution Street. And Revolution Street is where you go and you barter for things, you know? You're like, and you can get all these knockoff Nikes and watches and all this stuff. So I remember one time we're down there and a friend comes to me and says, hey, I just bought a Rolex. I said, you bought a Rolex? He said, yep, it says Rolex. It's a watch. Look at all those diamonds in there. I'm like, how much you get that for? He said, $10. $10 for a Rolex? He said, the guy wanted 20, but I talked him down, $10. And then about four days later, the diamonds are falling out. It doesn't work. It, it wasn't worth anything. You want to know why it wasn't worth anything? didn't cost anything. It didn't cost anything. Guys, following Jesus is the most hardcore thing you'll ever do. And it will cost you something. It will cost you your reputation. It will cost you friends. It will cost you entertainment. It will cost you time. It will cost you something. But, but it's because it's worth something. It's worth something. I remember as a 17-year-old when I finally said yes to God, I lost all of my friends. And not because I came to them one day and said, hey, you all are heathens and you all are going to hell. And I, like, no, because all of a sudden I was going this way with them. And when I gave my life fully, I decided to start going this way and they didn't go with me. I, it, I didn't lose them because I told them to go away. I lost them because they weren't headed the same direction anymore. It cost me something. It cost me something. I remember, I remember a guy coming into youth group, and again, this is not even a sermon on your music you listen to. It is a sermon on whether or not you're willing to give everything. This is holiness. I remember a guy came in and uh, was preaching on music, and I just, felt, I just felt the Lord convicting me about the music I was listening to. And so I went home, and I got out all of my... <laughs> Cassette tapes. <laughs> and I remember just putting these cassette tapes in, my, in a box. Belle Bib DeVoe. <laughs> you don't even know these guys. <laughs> Millie Vanilli. Belle Bib DeVoe and Millie Vanilli and Columbia Batten and, and Nirvana and Pearl Jam and, 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 and Run DMC and the Beastie Boys and, and the greatest rapper of all time, Vanilla Ice. And... And I, 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 I will never forget this moment. I, I tell you, this is a marking moment for me. When the Lord said, are you willing to give me everything? And I remember taking this box of cassette tapes and I remember walking out to, to my driveway where our, our garbage was and I threw them in there. 
Again, it wasn't about music. It was about whether or not I'm willing to come before God. Say, God, I'm willing to give 100%. I don't want to come and negotiate with you. I don't want to come and barter and kind of figure out what's the amount, what's the percentage that I can give you. Guys, if we're going to be a generation that sees Jesus declared with power, it is going to be because we, it's because we said yes to him. It's because we didn't hold back stuff. We said, God, here's my life. It's yours. All of it. Holiness is one big yes to God. This, at 17, this is what happened to me. At 17 years old, I, was, I started going to youth group at this youth. I, again, I got saved at four, but kind of didn't, was doing my own thing in high school. And then right before my senior year, I started attending this church. And I started going to this youth group. And I'm the kid that shows up late. And I left early. I was there for the social reasons. But the youth pastor invited me to a Sunday night one time that he was speaking at. So I go out. He preaches this message. And then he gives an altar call. Not for salvation, but to respond to the message. And, and all of a sudden, I found myself getting up, walking down to the altar. And I knelt down. And I said, God, if I'm going to do this Christianity thing, I'm going to do it 100%. And I, there was no goosebumps. There was no lightning. There was... I just said, God, if I'm going to do this Christianity thing, I'm going to do it 100%. And everything changed for me. Everything changed. Instantly, that night, it all changed for me. And what I found was this, that holiness is one big yes to God, that every decision after that is filtered through that yes. It's filtered through that yes. I am 42 years old and I said yes at 17 and every decision after that has been filtered through that yes. Every decision, my marriage, my whatever it is, it's all been filtered through that. And here's the amazing thing. When, see, Christianity is not a whole bunch of no's. This is part of the problem is, is that we think that somehow I'm supposed to go along and go no to that and no to that and no to sin and no to that and no to that and no to that. Christianity is not a bunch of no's, it's one big yes. This is, you know, my wife, when we got married, I said yes to her. Because of that, I don't now walk into a room and every woman I see, I'm not like, no, 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 no. I don't have to because I said yes. Like my yes was so complete to my wife that it determined everything else for me. That's what we're going after. But here's the deal. If holiness is one big yes, that yes can, does not happen because you feel guilty, because you feel manipulated, because you feel shame, because you feel a, a sense of duty. That yes happens because of a love for God that is awakened in your heart because you encounter his love for you. You gotta hear me on this. My, my, my job tonight is not to convince you to say yes. I want you to encounter a God that has already said yes to you in a profound way. And when you encounter that yes, the response inside of you will be a yes to him. The Bible says in 1 John 4 that we loved him because he first loved us. This means that when I encounter his yes for me, my response will be a yes for him. That's how you were created. If you are struggling giving God all of your life, if you are struggling 
surrendering everything to Jesus. It's simply because you have not encountered his love for you in a complete way. This is, I remember one time that that I I had a, uh, the Lord told me one time, I had a Winnie the Pooh doll that that I'd given my daughter when she was little. We bought it, it was this little tiny baby Winnie the Pooh. And so we get this Winnie the Pooh doll for her. And it was set up where like it was a little Winnie the Pooh and then Winnie the Pooh had a baby rattle, a little baby rattle was holding and then there was a bigger baby rattle that came with it. And the whole thing was you would wave in front of it You'd wave the big baby rattle in front of Winnie the Pooh and it would send a signal to the little baby rattle. And then every time you were waving it, Winnie the Pooh would start singing and dancing. I am short, fat, and proud of that and so with all my might. I, okay, maybe, maybe Winnie the Pooh didn't make it to the Midwest. So, um, uh, you know, it put me in the mood for food. And the minute you stopped waving it, Winnie the Pooh would stop dancing. And then you would wave it again and he would start dancing and singing. And the Lord told me one time, he said, Benny, that's how I've created you. I said, I, what, do you, you know, what do you mean? He said, that's how I've created you. He said, I've created you to love me in response to my love for you. In other words, you know, Winnie the Pooh, that, that, that when, when the little baby rattle encounters the big baby rattle, when that happens, something gets awakened inside of me to love him. That when I encounter his love for me, my response is, God, I love you. That any time I am struggling with giving God my all, any time I'm struggling embracing a life of holiness 100% set apart for him, it's simply because I have distanced myself from the encounter and the revelation of his love for me. But when I encounter that, something gets awakened that says, God, I love you. I want to give you everything. That's why we have to stay in that place of learning to abide in his love. It's why these settings are honestly so important. Because we come into a gathering like this for just a few days and we come into God's presence and we encounter him. And as we encounter him, again, our heart is awakened to love for him. I'm not asking you to work harder. I'm not asking you to be more disciplined. I'm not asking you to want it more. I'm saying if you're going to embrace holiness, it's only because you've encountered his love for you. And his love has awakened inside of you something that says, God, I I want to give you everything fully. This is what we're going after in a generation. A generation that will declare Jesus to be the son of God with power because they've embraced a life of holiness. Because they've decided to stop negotiating with God and saying, God, here's my life, all of it, 100%. Guys, since I was 17, I have had struggles, I've dealt with sin, I've had ups and downs, but what has never changed has been the yes in my heart for him. What has never changed is the yes. And I can tell you this, I am 42 years old, I'm standing here today because of a yes that happened at 17. Like right now, at 17, and here's what the world is trying to convince you. The world is trying to convince you that the decisions you make right now do not affect tomorrow. The world is doing, again, listen to music lyrics, Pepsi ads, it is all about right now. Like live right now. Like all that matters is right now. But I am telling you that the decision that you make today the seed that you plant today is the, is the fruit that you will eat tomorrow. 
and that you can make a decision as a 17-year-old, as a 16, 15, 14-year-old, that you can make a decision right now that will affect you into your 40s and 50s, that will affect your children because of the decision you make right now. This is what we're going after. But I will tell you this, that, that I, I believe that holiness, and, and I, I, I want to just, I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. But we have to get to a place where our desire for holiness is based upon our relationship with a God who loves us. The Bible actually in 2 Corinthians 6 actually talks about that holiness is connected to the fact that God desires to be a father to you and for you to be sons and daughters. Which, which means this, that, that when he says be holy as I am holy, do you know why he does that? Because he loves when his kids look like him. Like my desire to be holy is simply like I want to look like my dad. He's not looking for employees. Hear me on this. He's not looking for workers. He's looking for sons and daughters that will look like him. It brings great pleasure to his heart. If you've had kids, you'll get this, but anytime you have a baby, you spend like the first month dissecting every body part to figure out who does it look like. So you're like, oh, those lips are mine and those feet are yours and those ears are you know, like your you know, grandpa's and you kind of work your way through it. So, so you spend a lot of time looking at your newborn. Our first kid that we had, I was sitting there, we're maybe, a, I don't know, a few weeks in and my wife is in the back room with her and I'm out in the kitchen and all of a sudden she's screaming, Banning, banning, come here, come here. And I run back to her, I'm like, what's going on, what's going on? And she said, look at her pinkies. And I looked at her pinkies, I'm like, okay, what am I looking at? And she said, look at my pinkies. And, and my wife has a pinky that kind of has a hitch in it. I don't know how to describe it, it kind of has a little hitch. And then we looked down at this little newborn, my little newborn daughter's pinky, and it had the same hitch. And she said, she has my pinkies. She has my pinkies. And I am not kidding you, for the next six months, it, does not, it did not matter where we were. We would be at the grocery store checking out at the line, and she would look at the clerk and say, come here, look at this. Look at my daughter's pinkies. Look at my pinkies. We have the same pinkies. Everywhere we go. There was something that my wife loved that her daughter looked like her. This is the whole motivation for us, guys. The whole motivation is this, is that I want my life to look like my father's. That's what I want. And, that, and it is motivated out of love and nothing else. You will never embrace a life of holiness if you are doing it out of guilt or duty. You, you will do it because you love him. Let me just end with this. Let me just take a pause with this. I very much believe that if you're going to be a generation that embraces holiness, it's because you have a deep commitment to plant yourself in the Word of God. I think one of the big challenges coming at this generation and the issue of holiness is that this generation is trying to figure out, are we going to plant ourselves firmly in the Word of God? Listen to this passage in John 17, verse 17. It just says this. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. 
So listen to this. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. In other words, he says, listen, you're going to be sanctified, set apart by my word because my word is truth. Here's what you have to understand is that the world around you is, a, is an unstable, shaky foundation. That anything that you plant your life on, give me like two seconds before you start playing. I'm gonna tell a funny story. It'll be awkward if you're playing keys. <laughs> anything I plant my life on outside of the word of God is shaky and unstable. That the only firm foundation is truth and the only truth is the word of God. That, 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 and when the Bible says that your word is truth, it doesn't say his word is true, it says his word is truth, which means this. His word is not, in order to figure out whether or not his word is true, if you wanna find out if something is true, it's measured against truth. In other words, have you ever broken a bone and you go to the doctor and they're trying to show you the, the the, you know, the break with the x-ray, but you can't quite see it, and they turn the light board on, and they put up on the light board the x-ray, and you can see it. This is what happens, is that this, if we're going to embrace holiness, it's because the word of God has sanctified our life. And so I have to have a value that says this, my foundation is the word of God. And if I want to find out what truth is, I have to put it up against the word of God. So right now, there's a ton of voices that are trying to convince you what truth is. You have to take that and you have to stick it up against the word of God. The problem is, is that we've taken down that light board of scripture and we've put other things up there. Our feelings, mass opinion. Do you want to go, well, is this true? Well, what does the, the mass opinion say? What does my feelings say? And, and truth is not found in your feelings. It is not found in mass opinion. It is found in the word of God. A generation that is holy is a generation that plants themselves in the word of God and allows that word to sanctify them. And, and th this is really important because your life has to be firmly planted in scripture because everything else is unstable. I'll tell you even this, forget even for a moment what's happening in society that's trying to convince you what truth is. In your own life, some of you girls in here believe that, that your body shape is not beautiful or that somehow your hair or your eyes or who you are, that somehow you're not beautiful or you're not valuable. That truth, if that's true or not, is not found in your feelings. You have to be able to take that and you have to be able to put it up against scripture. Am I beautiful? Am I valuable? Your feelings have nothing to do with that. What does the word of God say about that? What does the word of God say about that? If I don't measure it against the word of God, then my life becomes shaky and it becomes unstable. Some of you, some of you men in here, you live under great shame. We live in the most sexualized culture in history. Hear me on this. And, and you don't even have to go find it. It now is finding you. Like sexual things 
are finding you. And so because of that, we have a generation of of boys who are living in such shame and are torn inside. And you have to know, like, I have to measure that. I have to come and take this thing and measure it against Scripture and understand what Scripture says about my life. Is shame from God. What does he believe about me? You've got, you've got to be able to plant yourself. And again, I know this is practical. But, but there, if you're going to be a generation that sees revival, it's because you say yes to Jesus fully, and it's because you plant yourself in the Word of God. I was 17 years old, and when I said yes to God, the immediate thing, and I, 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 I have, there's no credit for me on this, it just kind of happened, but when I said yes, I immediately got a hunger for Scripture. I can't describe it. I just immediately wanted to read the Bible. And we didn't have any apps or like, so I just had a hunger. As a senior in high school, I had a hunger to read the Bible through in a year. So I sat down and mapped it out. I counted all the chapters. I said, all right, if I'm going to do this, I've got to read three chapters in the Old Testament every day, one chapter in the New Testament every day. And so I just began to read Scripture. And I was so hungry for Scripture, I was so hungry for Scripture, I just would read ahead. As a senior in high school, I read the Bible through in 10 months. Nobody told me to. Nobody else did it with me. It was just a hunger I got inside of me when I said yes to God. And, and I read the whole Bible through in 10 months. And what I didn't realize was, was that God was setting me apart. When I said, when I said yes to God, when I said, God, I want to give you everything, I want to give you everything, then he immediately began to put a hunger in me for his word that I responded to, and he began to sanctify me through his word. He began to sanctify my life. My life was being set apart for him. And my life was being firmly planted on the only foundation that is immovable in our world. It is the truth found in Scripture. This is my challenge tonight, and what, what I want from all of you is I, there's something called the point of no return. Is there a chair? Can I have a, was there a chair right there? Can I, let me have this chair. There's something, I, I grew up in, in a place like this that's hot as well, but I had a, a don't, don't tell your parents this, don't go home and say that I said this, but we used to go, like there was, it was so hot where I grew up that we would just go find water. Everywhere we could, we'd find water. And whenever we, you know, creeks and lakes. And, but then we would start, we would jump off of things. Cliffs and bridges. And I had a friend that would go with us, and he was crazy. He was like doing gainers. You know what a gainer is? An inverted flip off these like 40-foot cliffs. And, but there was this one set of cliffs we would go to all the time. Uh, it was called, it was so very redneck. It was called Hogsback. Hogsback, and it was this creek that had a bend, and they had these 60-foot cliffs, 40-foot cliffs, 20-foot cliffs, and then this really deep water. So we'd go out there all the time, and one time, this girl, Amy, we're seniors in high school, she said, hey, I want to go cliff jumping with you. We're like, all right, come on. So us guys, we go out there. It's like this hike. And we get there, we're swimming, and then all of a sudden, Amy says, all right, guys, I'm going to go. I'm going to go cliff jump. We're like, all right, go, Amy. So she kind of climbs up. She's going to go off the 40-foot cliffs. So she kind of climbs up, and we're all kind of down there, and she gets up to the edge of this thing. She's kind of standing there, and her kind of toes are hanging over, and we're down there. We're like, come on, Amy, you can do it. You can do it. She's like, all right, I'm going to jump. Here I come. I'm doing this, guys. I'm going to jump. Here I come. 
okay, I don't know what's going on. My legs won't move. And we're like, come on, Amy, you can do it. Jump. Come on, Amy, jump. She goes, all right, all right, I'm going to jump. Here I go. Oh, I can't do it. So we encourage her for a while, and then we did what every teenager does. If encouragement doesn't work, make fun of them. So we're like, come on, Amy, don't be a baby, you big sissy. Jump. I am not a sissy. I will jump. Okay, I can't. I don't know what's going on. So we finally just started swimming, and she stood up there for two hours. And about every 15 minutes, she'd be like, all right, guys, I'm doing it. I'm jumping. Okay, I can't. I don't know what's going on. Until finally, two hours later, we just left, and we're like, we're leaving, Amy. She goes, all right. She just came with us. The reason why cliff jumping is so fun and exhilarating is because there's something called the point of no return. Right? The point of no return, you can't see with your eyes, but it's there. It's an invisible line. It's right here. Just an invisible line. And you, you can actually stand on that cliff for hours and not cross it. You can actually come and you can like dangle your foot and say you're going to jump and be all excited, but never actually cross the point of no return. You know what holiness is? This is what holiness is. Holiness is actually stepping off and crossing that line. Where you step off and you know. And when you cross it, you know. Because when you cross it, halfway down, you can't be like, whoa, 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 time out. That was a lot scarier than I thought. Can I go back? Whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't know it cost me all my friends. I didn't know they got, whoa, hold on a second. Like, like there's, a, there's a point of no return that you have to cross. Guys, I see kids all the time. They can show up every Wednesday night. They can sit there and dangle their foot, but you can see a look in their eyes when they finally have crossed the point of no return. This says, God, I'm willing. I don't care what the cost is. I don't care what I, don't care what I have to do or what this costs me. I'm going to give you everything. I'm not going to hold anything back. And I didn't know at the time at 17 that I was crossing that line, but I was crossing that line. No matter what the cost, God, my life is yours. It's yours completely. And this is what I want. I like what, what I want a generation to do. Listen, a lot of people, I remember in youth group, kids would be like, God's boring. I remember our youth pastor, anytime a kid would say God's boring, he's like, God's not boring, you're boring. And you know why? Some of you are wondering, like, Christianity, it's just, it's not that fun. It's, it's kind of boring. Yeah, because you're standing on the cliff, not jumping. Like, this, this is not Christianity. Like, I'm just telling you, this is boring. You're, it is. This, not fun. Man, but there's something about when you step off that cliff and you say, God, I'm going to cross this point of no return. Like there's no other option. This is what I'm going after. You know the phrase burning bridges? You know where that came from? Armies would invade a territory and when they would come into the territory, they would cross a bridge and they would turn around and burn the bridge behind them as a sign that, that we have one option. It's to go forward that we have eliminated the ability to ever go back and we will either die or we will be victorious, but we will never go back. This, this is what I want. I want God to still stir your heart. I want you to encounter his love in such a profound way that you step off that cliff. 
that you no longer mess around with Christianity, that you're not goofing around playing games with it. You say, God, I'm going to give you everything. The best choice of my entire life, I haven't regretted a moment of it, was when at 17, I decided to step off that cliff. I decided to cross the point of no return and say, God, I'm going to give you everything. I'm going to give you 100% of my life. I'm going to embrace holiness in my life. And I may have struggles, and I may still deal with sin in my life, and I may be working through stuff, but my yes for you is complete. It is 100% of my heart given to you. This is what I want. This, this is why we're here right now. We want you to jump. Some of you are jumping. Others of you were kicking off. Like, it doesn't, like, like this, we got to get you off that cliff. And I want you to be in your 40s. This is what I want. I want you to be in your 40s, and I want you to say, my heart is more alive for Jesus today than it's ever been, because I decided as a teenager to give everything to him. I decided as a teenager not to hold back anything. I decided as a teenager, no matter what the cost, I am going to step off, I'm going to give my entire life, and I'm going to say yes to him. And every other decision in my life will be decided for me and filtered through me stepping off that cliff. It's the best decision you'll ever make. You will never regret it. Listen to me, I have never met anybody who has regretted giving God everything. I want you to stand up in here with me. I want you just to close your eyes just for a minute. I want you to take just a moment right now. In a moment, I want you to respond. I'm going to ask you, I want to end tonight. We're going to pray for you and we're going to worship. But I want you to respond in just a minute. I'm going to actually have you get out of your chair in response in just a second. But right now, I want you to actually think about this. I want you to actually, what the Bible says, count the cost around this thing. Count the cost on this. There's a cost for following Jesus. It's your entire life given to him. Some of you, you have, you're not satisfied. You know it. You're goofing around. You're doing this stuff. But, but it hasn't satisfied the longing that's in your heart. The only time you'll ever be satisfied is when you've given your life fully to him. I believe you can be saved. Listen to me. I believe you can be saved and not st step off that cliff. Tonight, I'm not just talking about you giving your life to Jesus. I'm talking about you stepping off and saying, God, I'm going to embrace holiness. I'm going to embrace it. Take just a moment before God. Holy Spirit, I'm asking for those in this room that have never fully encountered the love of God, that tonight they would encounter your love for them, that you would look at them and say, I said yes for you. I love you so completely, my yes for you, that, they, that you would, they would hear you saying yes over them. And God, tonight you would awaken the heart of a generation to say yes to you completely and fully. If you're here tonight and you say, Banning, I, 
I want to step off that cliff. I want to embrace this. Maybe you already have, and just tonight, you just want to reaffirm that thing. I find myself at 42 praying the same prayer. I said, God, I, told you, I said at 17, I'm going to give you everything. I say it again. I give you everything, God. Every area of my life, every part of my life, all of it is yours. Nothing held back. And tonight, if you're in this room, God has brought you here. He is stirring your heart for a reason. He is speaking to you. And if you're here tonight and you say, I want to jump off that cliff. I, I want to say yes fully to God. I want to be a part of a generation that embraces holiness. I want you to get out of your chair and I want you to come forward. I want to pray for you and I want us to worship together. And as you come, I just want you to lift your hands in this place. As you come, I just want you to lift up your hands. And God, we come tonight with our hands lifted and we just say, God, we present ourselves to you. God, we just pray for those that you would set them apart. God, that you would put a fire inside of them that would never go out. Come on, just tell the Lord in your own words, even as you come forward. I was 17. There was no lightning bolts. There was no, no goosebumps. It was just me. And I said, God, I'm going to give you 100%. I'm going to give you everything. Come on, I want you to say that in your own words. You can pray it out loud. Just say, God, I want to give you everything. I'm going to hold nothing back. My entire life is yours. My entire life is yours. Come on, I want you to begin to pray it. I want you to begin to pray it out loud. In your own words, but just out loud. Say, God, I, I don't want to hold anything back. I want you to set my life apart. Sanctify me by your word. God, come and sanctify my life. Set me apart. I give you everything. Some of you in this room, you need to separate from sin. You need to tell the Lord, God, I'm sorry for that sin I've allowed in my life, but I separate from that tonight because I want to be set apart fully for you. Come on, I want you to pray. Just pray. We're going to worship in just a second. This is your moment tonight. I don't want to be melodramatic, but I'm telling you, this moment right now is the moment that goes with you for the next 30 years. You're going to have kids your age one day. And the decision you make right now, you're going to be my age. You're going to say, I made a decision as a teenager that I was going to give everything, hold nothing back. And fathers, we say yes tonight. I'm asking that you would put a hunger for the Word of God inside of them. God, I pray, I did, it wasn't, God, I just pray you'd put a hunger inside of them for the Word of God. And you would stir their heart for that. If you would like to follow Jesus, we'd like to connect with you on your journey. Email us at follow at radianchurchkc.com. If this ministry has encouraged you, we'd love to hear your story. Email us at mystory at radianchurchkc.com. If you'd like to invest in Radiant Church, please click Give on our website, radianchurchkc.com. 
Are you a young adult and interested in spending a year in Kansas City at Radiant Church? Check out radiantintensive.com. Thanks for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast.